Father, here we are in your presence. We've heard incredible songs about you. We've heard already incredible scriptures about your death and resurrection and all that you have done for us. And Father, now just in the silence of our own hearts, we want to give you an opportunity. We want to open our hearts and just say, would you speak to us through your word this morning? Thank you, Father, for sending us your spirit today, for speaking to us, for reminding us of the preciousness of Jesus. Speak to us in the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. She never dreamed that this would happen. She'd made all of the preparations possible. She'd gone through her list. She'd checked it over twice. I know how this works because I've watched my wife plan programs. And when you plan something, when you are planning to take care of people, you check it over again and again. You make your checklist. You live by that checklist. The checklist is really important. Well, I imagine that she too had a checklist on this day. She had it all planned out. It was supposed to go entirely different. But I don't know what happened on this day. Maybe it was the five additional guests who were there that day sitting at the table. Maybe it was just a surprise, a fluke. I don't know what happened, but it was serious. Because running out of this meant that everything would turn south for this incredible moment of celebration. This past Sunday, we had the amazing privilege of celebrating that Anne and Ryan are getting married soon. We had this wonderful time of fellowship together. It was a beautiful time. If you weren't there, we missed you, but it was, it was amazing. I imagine that that might have been a little bit what it was like on this day as they all sat there celebrating the marriage. You see, what had happened leading up to that was likely that the, the groom had gone and he had built onto his father's house and finally he'd gotten the okay and he had gone to get his bride and as he had brought his bride back to the house, they would have had a wedding procession, they would have had the, the, the wedding bridal party would have been there all together in the house and as they began to celebrate, it was essential that everybody got to be together and to experience the hospitality of the groom. Here it was on his day when he was providing for all of his guests. And then it happened. You know the story if you've read John chapter 2. They began to run out of wine. As they began to run out of wine, this was catastrophic because this would indicate to the guests that there was a lack of hospitality, that there was a lack of courtesy, that that. Things hadn't been provided for adequately. And Mary, Mary had been in charge, apparently, of taking care of the preparation, at least when it came to the wine. Because Mary is the only one besides the servants who recognizes the problem at this point. Turn to John chapter 2 with me. In John chapter 2, we pick up the story that I believe is crucial in recognizing who Jesus is and what He wants to do in our relationships. On this weekend, when so many people are focused on the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus, we want to recognize that He did all of that for an incredible purpose of reuniting our hearts with Him in a way that improves all of our relationships. In John chapter 2, Jesus at this point only has five disciples. 
It's himself and five others. He's just come back from his 40 days in the wilderness, being there fasting and praying, experiencing temptation, going through the footsteps that you and I go through, being tempted in every way like we have. And now he's come out of the wilderness, and here he is, and he goes to this wedding feast at a little tiny town called Cana. It was probably not a large gathering. It was probably... Even just his family was there and and some of the guests from the town there. But he and his disciples were invited to this wedding. John chapter 2, and we pick up in verse 3. And when they ran out of wine, this is catastrophic for a wedding celebration that would go on for days for them to run out of wine. When they had run out of wine, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. Suddenly, something clicked for Mary. She said, you know what I need to do? Jesus has helped me throughout the past 30 years, and I know who to go to when I've got a problem. When, when things are not going right, I know who to turn to. I am going to ask Jesus to help me. And so she goes to Jesus and says, hey, we're about to run out of wine. I don't know exactly what she expected Jesus to do, but it gives us an indication based on Jesus' response. Now, as you read this, we have to realize that we're separated from this by 2,000 years. And so when she says the words that she says, it doesn't sound polite to us, but it really was. And we know this because on the cross, when he's taking care of his mom, he uses the same way of addressing his mom. Jesus said to her, woman, this was an appropriate and respectful way to address his mom. What does your concern have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. What do you do? We've been praying about our relationships. We've been asking God to increase and make an abundance happen in our relationships. What do you do in your relationship when it feels like God's not answering that prayer? When you've been praying for years for a spouse and God hasn't brought you a godly spouse. When you've been praying for your kids and it doesn't seem like God's answering. What do you do in that moment? Jesus tells her, my hour has not yet come. And in John, when he's talking about the hour, he's talking about going to the cross. And even bigger than that, we get the idea here that Mary is expecting that he's going to do some miraculous sign, that he's going to set himself up as king at this wedding ceremony. And Jesus says, no, that's not what I'm here to do, Mary. He's politely telling his mother that while I've followed all of your beckons up to this point, while I've been an obedient son, I need to be about my father's business. Well, look at how the mother responds. And I believe that this is the way that I need to respond in my relationships when things aren't going the way that they should be with my marriage, with my children, whatever it might be, that when I don't see that answer to prayer, I need to respond like Mary. His mother said to his servants, the servants, whatever he says to you, do it. Do you see how she appreciates who Jesus is. She recognizes that Jesus cares about what she is going through and what the family is going through. And Jesus cares about what you're going through in your family, what you're going through at work with your boss, the the problems that you face. Jesus cares about it. He may not answer in exactly the way that you expect, but you can count on it that He cares and that He wants to bless in a beautiful and powerful way. Now there were six 
set there six water pots of stone according to the manner of purification of the Jews, containing 20 or 30 gallons apiece. Jesus said to them, fill the water pots with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, draw some out now and take it to the master of the feast. And they took it. When the master of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine, he apparently didn't know anything about this situation. And did not know where it came from, but the servants who had drawn the water knew. The master of the feast called the bridegroom and he said to him, Every man at the beginning sets out the good wine. And when the guests have well drunk, then the inferior. You have kept the good wine until now. This is how God works in our relationships. Now we could get a little distracted here and we could say, what type of wine was this? And you could look at Isaiah 65 where it's clear that there's wine is called both wine that's in the cluster, the grape juice, or you can say that this is wine that has alcoholic content. I personally believe there's good reason to believe that Jesus brought refreshing, purified grape juice. But that's another topic for another time. What is the rulers say here he says you have set the good wine now whereas most people at the beginning of the feast they put the good wine out and then they put the part that is not so good this is the way that the world works in our relationships you may find all types of, of guides and ideas, or, or you may come up with your own plans as to how to make your relationships better, but the fact is that if you're not following in the footsteps of Jesus in your relationships, if you're not building it on the Word of God like we talked about last week, that while it will taste sweet at first, in the end, it's going to go south. It's going to turn sour. In the, the commentary, Desire of Ages, talking about this, It says this about the gifts that the world gives versus the gifts that Jesus gives. Page 148, it says, As men set forth the best wine first, then afterward that which is worse, so does the world with its gifts. That which it offers may please the eye and fascinate the senses, but it proves to be unsatisfying. The wine turns to bitterness, the gaiety to gloom. That which was begun with songs and mirth ends in weariness and disgust. Have you experienced that in your relationship? It all seemed like it was starting off so good, and yet it all turned south. It all turned away from that abundance that you were hoping for. The good news is, it goes on to say, but the gifts of Jesus are ever fresh and new. The feast that He provides for the soul never fails to give satisfaction and joy. Each new gift increases the capacity of the receiver to appreciate And enjoy the blessings of the Lord. He gives grace for grace. There can be no failure of supply. I find it incredibly fascinating to see that Jesus comes to give this precious gift to this family wedding occasion, this small little thing. And John goes on to describe it like this. He he says after that in verse 11, this beginning of signs Jesus did in Cana of Galilee and manifested His glory, and His disciples believed in Him. Of all the ways that Jesus could have started His ministry, He could have started by raising the dead. He could have started by feeding thousands of people. He could have started in myriad of different ways. But how did Jesus choose to begin His ministry? By going to a simple ceremony 
for a bride and groom who simply want to celebrate the joy of the love that they are now experiencing. And Jesus shows up there as a guest, not as an honored participant, but just as a guest at the wedding feast. And He is there simply to add joy to that relationship. And that's really what He wants to do in your life with your relationships. He wants to be there to add joy into your life. He wants to to bring you abundance into your relationship. But so often, we get this tainted experience because we're relying on what the world tells us about our relationships. It's pretty fascinating. Back in the early 1900s, they did some research about rats. What do rats have to do with relationships? We'll find out in just a second. But they found out that rats are addicted quite easily to cocaine and heroin just like you and I can be. This was groundbreaking research that was done in the the early uh, 1900s. It basically revealed that there is some sort of chemical dependence that forms when a rat drinks from a cocaine-laced water bottle. So they put two water bottles into the cage, and they found that the rat would go to the water bottle that was laced with heroin or with cocaine rather than to the water bottle that didn't have heroin or cocaine. And it would go back and back and back until usually the rat would overdose on the cocaine. So for years, it was assumed that, well, obviously, a rat cannot control himself Once he comes in contact with it, that chemical dependence is formed and there's no other option for him. He will become an addict. That was assumed for years until the 1970s when a professor by the name of Bruce Alexander in Canada began to look at this. He's a psychologist and he began to look at this study and he said, wait a second here. And he realized that the next picture shows this is how the rats were stored in their experiments. They had these metal boxes that they stored them in, and they would put each rat in its own space all by itself. And then they would test it to see how it would respond to things like this, the stimulant of having heroin in your water. And he said to himself, well, maybe there is a problem here in that this rat has been isolated This rat doesn't have companionship. It doesn't have the things that a rat would love in its life. And so this is what he did. He built this. It's called the Rat Park. And he put inside of the Rat Park tunnels, and he put all different types of things that rats like. He put cheese in there. He put all different types of things for rats to enjoy. Plus, he put a bunch of rats in there together. And the rats could make families together. They could do whatever they wanted in there. And they even had babies. You see how happy these rats are? And then what he did was, he put a bottle with morphine-laced water and a bottle with just water into this cage. And he said, let's test and see what happens. You know what he discovered? That in comparison to a, a rat that is isolated, that these rats would rarely go and drink from that morphine-laced water, that they would rarely take the time to, to, to care about the drug-laced water, that they wouldn't overdose. They were seven times less likely, in fact, to go to that bottle and to become addicted to it. 
incredible study that, that realized the fact that what was wrong for the other rats was not just the chemical dependence, but the fact that they were isolated. The fact that they didn't have healthy relationships in their lives. And I believe that Jesus wants for you and I to realize the same thing. I believe that that may be why he turned water into wine at a wedding feast as his very first miracle in order to display his glory. He did it at an event that was to celebrate relationship, to add joy to the simple ceremony of marriage. I believe it partially because of what I find in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 18. Go with me to Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 18. Here in Ephesians, we've looked through this last few chapters about all of the relationship advice that is given there for mothers, for fathers, for husbands and wives, for servants and masters. And we looked last week at the armor of God and how we need to guard our relationships. But just before launching into all of that, Paul says something fascinating. We're talking about water being turned into wine by Jesus. And here Paul says in Ephesians 5.18, And do not be drunk with wine, in which is dissipation, in which is a total waste in your life, which, which is going to lead you down a path that in the end will feel empty. Don't be drunk with wine. This is a waste for your life. But be filled with the Spirit. This is the one place in the New Testament where it actually commands that we be filled with the Holy Spirit. Do you see what Jesus wants for our life? He wants for us to have a continual connection that transforms every part of our lives. He wants for us never to be disconnected. And so you have this counterbalance. He's saying on the one hand, you could be drunk with wine. Or on the other hand, you can have this connection with God through having God dwell in you. Does this make sense to you? There's, there's this contrast. He says on the one hand, you could look for a, a passing pleasure. You could look for joy and peace in this substance. Or you could put into yourself the Holy Spirit. And that relationship will change everything for you. In the uh, book, Adventist Home, page 28, it talks about the presence of Christ and what it can do in our lives. It says, The presence of Christ alone can make men and women happy. All the common waters of life, Christ can turn into the wine of heaven. Jesus wants to take the common waters of our life, the simple things in our life that have, have turned south on us, and He wants to turn them into a delightful experience in Him. Psalm 1611 says it like this, In His presence is fullness of joy. Overflowing joy. Just like those water pots that were overflowing with new, abundant, tasty wine. Jesus wants to make our relationships fulfilled. You might be thinking today, well, how's that possible? I'm so lonely. I, you don't understand. It's been hard to go through this relationship series because I don't even have a family. I go home and I'm, I'm by myself. Well, look at what it says in Psalm 68 and verse 6, the next slide. Are you lonely? 
God promises to fulfill you. God sets the lonely in families. He leads out the prisoners with singing, but the rebellious live in a sun-scorched land. He says, my presence will satisfy you. It'll transform your life. How about, do you need a spouse? Are you wishing that you had a spouse in your life? Isaiah 54 and verse 5 says, For your Maker is your husband. The Lord of hosts is His name. Just be connected with God and He will supply your every need. This is the picture we see again and again throughout Scripture. Are you craving friendship this morning? John 15 and verse 15 says, No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends for all things that I heard from my Father I have made known to you. I want to be your friend. I want to be your husband. I want to be your, there for you in every aspect of your life. You need a brother? Romans 8.29, For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Maybe you're struggling with your relationship with your siblings. Jesus says, I want to be there for you in that. I want to fulfill that need in your life. Not only do I want to help you with that relationship, but I want to so satisfy you with my presence that I'll be that brother that you need. Are you longing for a mother's comfort? Maybe you had your mother taken away from you when you were young. Maybe you just had a strained relationship with your mother. Isaiah 66 and verse 13, as one whom his mother comforts, so I will comfort you. This is who God is. He cares about your relationships. He goes to wedding feasts to start His entire ministry to add joy to relationships. He's like your mom when you skinned your knee as a kid, like I did repeatedly, over and over again. I remember going home and having fallen again off my bike and my mom just scooping you up. There's something about being held in your mother's arms. And that's what God wants to do for you. He wants to be like that mother who comforts you. Are you fatherless? Are you widowed? Isaiah 68 and verse 5, a father of the fatherless, a defender of widows, is God in His holy habitation. Sorry, that's Psalm 68 and verse 5. How about orphaned? Maybe you lost your parents. Maybe you feel totally abandoned. John 14 and verse 18, I will not leave you orphans i will come to you let's be honest we hear these promises about what god wants to do for us and we could go on we could look at how he promises that he will save our children in isaiah 49 and verse 25 how he'll pour out his spirit on our descendants but what is it that lets us know that god's going to come through in these promises we've got to go to the cross The cross of Jesus Christ where we remember the One who loved us more than Himself. That Jesus was willing to go to the grave not being able to see past that tomb for you. Because He wanted for you to experience happiness in your life. It's the presence of Christ that brings fulfillment and joy into our lives. He wants to transform our lives. And when we look to the cross... We remember the One who died for us and we know that He will fulfill these promises in our lives. Honestly, in my life, it can be easy to get distracted from finding fulfillment in Jesus. 
But I want to encourage you today that there is no greater fulfillment than Jesus Christ. That He alone can fill your cup. That He alone, when you're, you're empty and you don't feel you have what it takes, He alone can satisfy the longings of your soul. I also wanted to share that from personal experience, a story that I'm incredibly grateful for. When Zach and I started dating many years ago, 2005, he was my first boyfriend. And so because of that, I was super excited, never had a boyfriend before. And God had been leading so clearly in our relationship, even to introduce us to each other, that I was just overjoyed. I was thrilled. And from the very beginning, I was so sure that God was doing this, that he was leading in our lives. And little by little by little, my focus became more and more on him and on our relationship and on how great it was and how God was leading us and on him and our relationship and how God was leading us. Well, many months into our relationship, rather than getting closer, I actually felt like we were getting further apart. And I wondered what was going on. I wondered why I was feeling distant. I wondered what was happening. We should be getting closer. I was investing more time. I was writing more nice notes. I was trying to do more nice things for him. And rather than drawing closer, it was actually getting further apart. Well, I became really scared. And then I started having thoughts like, what if I ever lost him? I don't think I could survive. I mean, look at my life now with him. If, if I ever, if something happened to him, or if he ever chose to go with someone else, I would probably just die. And I started to have these thoughts. Well, we had a heart-to-heart conversation one day, and I just opened up and I said, I just don't get it. I mean, God has been leading in our relationship so clearly, and I know we've only been dating like six months or so, but rather than feeling closer, I feel like we're actually getting farther apart. And what he said to me next, I will never, ever forget. It stuck with me all of these years. He said, the reason I was drawn to you in the beginning was because you were so into God, not so into me. And it hit me like a ton of bricks, and I realized that is so true. The reason I was so into you in the beginning is because you were so into God, not so into me. And you know, the world would tell you that as long as you just invest all your energy and all your love and all your time and attention, money into the other person, you'll be happy. But it's just not the case. Often in marriage counseling, we share a little picture of a triangle, two people being the legs, that as you actually go closer to God, you'll go closer to each other. It's not when you just try to focus more and more and more on the other person that you'll grow closer, but God has a way of binding our hearts together, that when you're both moving closer to God, you'll actually grow closer to the other person. And I began to realize that, yes, I was still having my worship, Yes, I was still journaling and doing these things, but it was all centered on him. Dear God, thank you for bringing Zach into my life. Thank you for how you're working. It was all about him. And it wasn't helping our relationship any. And God had to bring me to a point right then and there to say, you know what? Even if you lost him, you could still be fully satisfied in me. Even if you don't get him, I can still satisfy your heart. Even if you're this relationship ends today, and praise God it didn't, but even if it did, God could still be enough. And that's easy to say, but sometimes it's hard for your heart to get that even if God doesn't bring me a spouse, 
Even if God doesn't let us have a child, even if God lets me feel lonely, he can still be enough. And I feel like even though God worked that part out and I surrendered the relationship and obviously I got to keep Zach and he blesses our lives, it's happened to me over and over. Different friends have come into my life and I've become so attached to them. I felt like if God ever takes them away, I'm going to die. And it keeps happening over and over and over again. And God keeps showing me, I am enough. I will bless your life. I will take care of you. I will give you all you need. So many of you have been praying for us in our journey to have a family, and we're so grateful for those prayers. But even early on in this journey, this is one of the things that God has had to show me again. Even having a child, even having a family, that's not what's going to satisfy. I am the only thing that will fill your life. I remember one day I was just so sad, and I was like, Lord, show me something from your word. And when I was hoping for some assurance that I will bless you with the baby, It was the assurance of, I will satisfy your heart. I am enough for you. And so as we end this relationship series, yes, the encouragement, God wants to bless your relationships. God wants to turn those common waters into the wine of heaven. He wants to bless you with your spouse. He wants to bless you with your child. He wants to bless you in your friendships, in your relationships at work. But even when he doesn't, Even when it takes a long time, even when it seems like he's not answering, he's still enough. He's the father, he's the brother, he's the mother. God is enough. Just about made the biggest mistake of my life, to say the least. (laughs) As I reevaluated that relationship, she had never even had a boyfriend up until that point. She was this perfectly pure, wonderful woman who was investing her life in me and I was having second thoughts. But I praise Jesus (laughs) that those second thoughts didn't last very long and the relationship's only gotten better and better. What we want you to walk away with is Jesus satisfies. His whole goal in going to that marriage was to brighten that marriage. He gave them 120 gallons of of grape juice on that day, way more than they needed for their wedding celebration, but probably enough so that they could have a good start to their marriage, so that they could sell grape juice for a little while. God wants to delight you. He wants to satisfy you. But we need to come to Him first and foremost. We, We tend to get drunk on the wine of the world when He wants us to be satisfied with His Spirit. In John chapter 7, Jesus said, Come to me. If you're thirsty, come to me and drink, and I'll satisfy you. And out of your innermost being will flow rivers of living water. And it says this he spoke about the Holy Spirit. So the practical takeaway that I want for you today is to pray for the presence of Jesus in your life. We're told that we can ask and we will receive. Jesus has made this promise so incredibly clear to us. I wanted to invite you to take out your study guide that's in your bulletin. This is a study that I encourage you to look at. It's going from a different perspective, a different story, but looking at how Jesus wants to quench the thirst of your soul. But on the back of it, it, there's a link there that I'll also put up on the screen for a little book called Steps to Personal Revival. And I want to encourage you to begin praying for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. More than anything else you do, 
pray for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And I have this book. I have given it to others already. And one person that I gave it to, it's revolutionizing their relationships, not because of anything special about this book, but because of the power of the Holy Spirit and of asking for the Holy Spirit. It's a very simple book, and I'm not going to go into detail now. I actually have enough that I can give to the church on a later date. But for today, if you're feeling like you need healing in your relationships, if you're feeling especially like you'd like to have a deeper experience with Jesus, I want to give you a chance to, you know what a beta version is? It's where you get to try something ahead of time before the actual version comes out. If, if you really want to be a part of experiencing the wholeness that comes from Jesus in your life, then I, I'll give you a copy today. If you come talk to me and we can talk a little bit more about it. If you want to wait for a couple weeks or about a month, then that's fine too. But I, I feel that it's so vital and crucial that if somebody's going through something today, I don't want you to walk out of here without a resource that can help you in seeking the presence of Jesus in seeking a transformed experience through the Holy Spirit in your life. Father in heaven, thank you that it is your glory to give, to give to our relationships, to enrich and enhance our celebration, our joy in our relationships. Lord God, I pray that we would experience the joy that you have in serving us as we serve each other through this foot washing. Bless my friends as they go out to participate in this important service. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.